Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? You know, I praise God for even just the song that we were just singing, worshiping the Lord, trusting that we need His presence, that we need His presence. And um, I can say that this, uh, this morning, even just looking at you guys, I can tell you that you are way more prepared to be at church than I, than I was to do what we were To do what's about to happen, you guys are in better shape. And um, the reality is this. um, You know, yesterday, I don't know how Rob put this together because uh, all of a sudden I had to go to the bathroom during announcements. But, um, you know, yesterday he says he received this message around 12.30 that Bob can't preach. And um, there's this hour that's just missing because I looked at my phone and he only got back to me after an hour. So I don't know who he called. I don't know who was uh, in the sequence of... You know what, I don't know how far down the line, it took an hour, but uh, that's how far down the line I was. And, um, you know, just thinking about that, um, I, I drove to church, you know, because as, 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 you know, as, as a preacher, you always have like that sermon in your back pocket that they've never heard a covenant. And so I knew, okay, I was going to pop this out and, and that's the one, you know, I preached at some youth retreat, so I have to take out, you guys are idiots, stop messing around with girls, you know, and, and rechange some of those things. Um, but you know, I got here and, um, the Lord is the Lord and he's going to do what he's going to do. And I sat in, in my, in my office and, and the Lord was like, this is what I want you to say. And I was like, there's two hours. And he was like, this is the message that I put on your heart. And so I don't know if it's getting better with, with time, (laughs) but I know the Lord is calling me to preach this, you know, The weightiest part of preaching and sharing and teaching um, lies in the fact that this has got to do with people's souls. You know, I was challenged that last night, yesterday I thought I had a couple of hours to prepare a message. But I believe that the Lord has last night just revealed to me in my own heart that you have been preparing to preach this message for four years. And so... I'm struck by that. I have a South African friend of mine. He's a, he's a dentist, and um, uh, we were just chatting, uh, watching rugby, and we were just talking about, you know, the fact that I was going to go in a few days later, and he was worried a little bit about my transplant and how I had to pre-medicate and all that. And, you know, you're, you know and he's pretty a pretty straight shooter. He's like, well, if you don't, you get an infection and die. I was like, ooh, okay. <laughs> Not quite in that accent. He's got a cool accent. Um, but... Uh, I said, wow, your job has got such great responsibility. And if you mess up, people die. He's like, oh, nothing like your, your job, Rob. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and he said, if you mess things up, <laughs> this is people's souls. And I'm confronted by the fact that it's not up to me, it's up to God, but to be faithful to what the Lord is asking us to preach because there's a truth that we'll see in this passage that Jesus doesn't mince his words. He doesn't hide the truth and he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't put it together and make it a, a palatable gospel. He doesn't, it, the gospel is not just add water. That's not what it is. It's as it is. And he says it as it is, like it is. So we're going to find this man in this passage of scripture who's known as the rich young ruler. We look at him and we, and we find that he has this interaction with Jesus that just challenges his life. He comes with these preconceived notions of what Jesus is going to be and we find in the story that it's not quite like that. 
he missed Jesus. And so I thought about this a couple of hours before preaching. I was like, I need to find this example that can kind of captivate what it looks like and what it must feel like to miss something. And, and, and the, the, uh, you have to excuse me because of the time that I had, all these are just sporting illustrations somewhat tied to basketball. But the reality, <laughs> that's where, that was my headspace. But I found this man, and I don't know if anyone in this room knows a man named Stu Inman. No one, right? No one knows, no one knows. Your, your lights are on. No, um, no one knows him. And the reality is this. Stu Inman was the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers in 1984. And Stu Inman had this job of picking who would come and play for the Portland Trailblazers in the 1984 NBA draft. So at number one, the Houston Rockets took a Nigerian Shout out to the Africans. They took this Nigerian. His name is Akeem Olajuwon. They took him at number one. He's the best player in college. And at number two, Stu Inman had the toughest decision any general manager has ever had to make. It was so close. Because available was a man named Sam Bowie, or Bowie. Couldn't click the pronunciation thing. That was the one guy who was available, and the other guy who was available was Michael Jordan. And Stu Inman must have looked at all his paperwork. He must have looked at, as I read this story, I didn't have enough time to dive real deep because of the time, and I ended up watching YouTube videos of dancing cats. That was the trail <laughs> that I went on. So I don't really know what Stu Inman's uh, thought process was, but he was a general manager. I think he did his due diligence. I think he looked at tapes. I think he looked at health. I think he looked at their college record. And Stu Inman went with the brilliant decision for the Portland Trailblazers of picking Sam Bowie. (laughs) And at number three, Chicago Bulls took Michael Jordan and the rest is history. And so we see that I don't know what it felt like to be this man in the 90s. Waking up every year, every day, and switching on his TV and seeing this young guy win championship after championship after championship after championship, just knowing that I was the one who missed him. And so we find in this story that that was not the greatest of all time, the greatest miss of all time. Because Stu Inman might have Miss the goat, which is the title of my sermon. But we see in this passage of scripture, we see that this rich young man missed Jesus. He missed out on an invitation to follow Jesus. Now Charles Spurgeon says this, and this stuck in my heart when I read this. He's a great preacher, great British preacher who, who preached powerful sermons. Says this, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. And when I look and I hear that, the weight of even what Matthew 25 would say, are you sheep or are you goats? And we see that the Lord is going to challenge us through his word this morning on what it looks like to be sheep and the invitation to be sheep. So with that, let's turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to read from verses 17 uh, to 31. As Jesus started on his way, 
A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he replied, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of, the, of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be lost, and the lost first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've prepared our hearts to hear this. Continue to do that, Lord, as this sermon continues, Father. May you speak. May you be the loudest voice in this room. Speak to our hearts, Lord. We're listening. Transform us, Lord, with your love. Help us see the beauty of the cross in, this, in, this, in, the, in the next few minutes, Lord. Help us see how much you gave for us and how our everything does not even compare. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So when we read that passage of Scripture, I don't know how you read it. I don't know what happens in your heart. I don't know where you stand when you look at the story and read of this rich young man who has this encounter with Jesus. This young man was not only materially rich as we read that, we see that he was morally rich. And he wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy. As far as I can see, I don't know, maybe my eyes tell, tell, uh, 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 are fooling me, but when I look at the story, I see this guy and I'm like, he's a, he's a pretty good guy. And you know, when we look at the stories that we see and encounters people have with Jesus, sometimes we can disengage because we say, that's not me. We can look at the Samaritan woman at the well and say, well, I've never had five husbands, that's not me. And we can, we can almost like say, oh, that would be a great message for my cousin in Wyoming because, <laughs> you know, that's how they live. But the thing about this passage is that you can't disengage because it is us. Whew. A good guy who's pursuing, he runs after Jesus. You read that, he, he ran toward Jesus. Right, we, we hear that all the time. Run to Jesus, he ran to Jesus. 
Like you must honor Jesus. You must honor him. I come from an, from an honor culture where we walk into rooms like this because of respect for our elders. I don't do this anymore, but, but, but that's where I come from. When I go home, that's how I greet people. This young man ran and he knelt before Jesus. He didn't size up Jesus. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, I'm in the place, rich young ruler. No, he, he ran to him and knelt. You can paint this scene however you want to paint it. This, this young man even has the right words. Good teacher. Jesus, you're good. It's like a song we sing that we love. You are good. You, he said, you're good. He had all the external things that we would want to see in a person who is after Jesus. Can you imagine if this young man walked through the doors, he ran and he said, good, I, I want, what do I lack? It says, it will say in Matthew, he asks, what do I lack? He comes and he runs and he's like, I, I want this. We would take that person, right, like this. Good guy, moral guy. Everything on the outside, great. I mean, we, we would be like, hey, man, come, we're a four-step plan, come. Join our team, hey, we need you. But that's not quite what Jesus does because Jesus sees beyond that. Jesus sees beyond that. And this young man, I don't think, was prepared to encounter the real Jesus. He wasn't prepared to encounter the true gospel. Tim Keller would say this, when you encounter the true gospel, you find out that it demands far more than you thought and offers way more than you imagined. So this young man runs towards Jesus, and what is freeing is that Jesus, he sees our hearts. He sees our hearts. Like Jesus looks beyond all of the outside stuff and all the put-togetherness, and he sees our hearts. That is freeing, because that means we cannot fool God. That means it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how, where is your heart. God is just looking at our hearts. All he sees is our hearts. So when we worship, it doesn't matter. I always use this example, is that it doesn't matter if you have the most beautiful voice and, and, and you raise your hands when they're singing oceans or reckless love, and you're like, right there, you know, this is my part. Boom. <laughs> Jesus, are you impressed? When your heart is far from the Lord, the guy who's standing still behind you just whispering, that person's heart is close to the Lord. That's what Jesus sees. He sees our hearts. We can't fool God. That is awesome because we live in a time and a place and we live in a culture, right, where we are attracted to the exterior. We are. We gravitate toward more attractive people, right? The, I, I'm the young adults pastor. When an attractive guy comes to young adults, I tell you, it's a different picture. <laughs> young adults is a little longer. We had, we had a guy come, and he was a good-looking young man, came, and he was in the circle, and, you know, all the, all the girls, obviously, all they can hear now, they can't hear the Bible. They all hear, oh, you're single ladies. Oh, that's all they can hear. <laughs> and, and this young man was sitting, and he was sitting there, and he said, hey, this is my name, and he said, I play for the Philadelphia Union. Whoa! That night was the longest young adult. I, I couldn't get people to leave. <laughs> they were attracted not only to his, his, his good looks, but they were also attracted to the fact that he had accomplished something. And I'm telling you that when we look at the rich young ruler, that is the lens we must see him. We must see how attractive it must have been to have this guy there. And Jesus sees through the heart. He sees through that and he sees the heart. 
First Samuel 16 will say this is a man named Samuel, a godly man, a prophet. He, he is sent by the Lord to, 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 to pick the king. And we see here in chapter 6 it says this, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel was like, surely it's this guy. Tall, handsome, he looks like a king. And God says, nope, that's not the guy. It's David. Says same thing about Jesus. There was nothing about Jesus that would say when you looked at him, that must be the king of kings. That's our Lord. He hides these things because he sees them in our hearts and he treasures those things. And so we see this young man has this encounter with, with Jesus and Jesus confronts his heart. In fact, Jesus confronts his goodness first. He says, good teacher. And immediately you see Jesus' response to that is let's just get being good out of the equation. There's no one good but God. So if you're coming with your goodness, young man, no one is good but God. Let's just throw that in the trash. And so this young man comes to Jesus. Can you imagine the response? Jesus, why so harsh? But he says, I'm not interested in that. I say this, church, I always think about this. God is not interested in like milli vanilli Christianity. He's not, in, he's, not, he's not interested in that. He's not interested in that. If you don't know who milli vanilli is, you can ask your parents. But it's like... <laughs> He's not interested in just lip service or lip syncing. He's not interested in that. He wants the real you. And you know, he wants to save you from your goodness as well as he was trying to save this young man from his good deeds and his goodness. I believe, church, that we need to be saved from our goodness because if you're not standing as a Christian on just the work and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, I don't know what else you can stand on. It's not your goodness. And sometimes, I, I, I want to tell you this, because if we stand on our goodness, we become arrogant. And when we stand on our goodness, we start to walk around like the church sometimes walks around with their noses up looking down at everyone. Because we believe that we've done something to be who we are. So we need to be rescued from that. I need to be rescued from that. In my own home, my wife's right here, I cannot make this up. Some Sundays, if I think the sermon went well, people are like, oh, Rob, that w-. I come on a Monday at home, I'm like, do you know who I am? <laughs> I am so good, honored, I'm a good, good father. No, like I try and do that. But the reality is that if my heart is far from the Lord, unimpressed. And so church, this young man saved from that. Jesus confronts that, he saves him from that. Let's get rid of your goodness. You know what, church, we see in the story the big banner that, that kind of leads the story. As we read this, as it's jarring, I can tell you that there isn't a lot of high fives after the sermon. Like, when we see this, we see that Jesus requires everything. And there isn't a half-hearted, there isn't a half-hearted approach to following God. There isn't. It doesn't exist. There is no lukewarm, let's hang out. Let's give Jesus some of us and then some we keep for ourselves. It's everything or nothing. It's, it's the truth. And so Jesus says, I want everything. 
You know, at church, sometimes we think of the most difficult mission fields, and in this passage of Scripture, and I've seen this time and time again in my own life, not looking outside, not judging, all the fingers are pointed at me. Is that when, when stuff is in the way, it becomes difficult to follow God faithfully. When we, we want to kind of surround our life with stuff, and that stuff doesn't, it doesn't always mean money. Sometimes that stuff is some other identity that we've made up as ultimate, some other identity that sits on the throne. But we find that Jesus wants everything. Sometimes we think of the most difficult missional places being like, you know, psh, that guy who goes to Syria, as difficult, it's difficult. It is. It's a step of faith. It's a dangerous place. How that missionary is called to that part of, of Africa, that missionary is be, being called to that neighborhood. Yes, those are difficult. They take faith to walk in difficult places. But I'll tell you that biblically speaking, as we look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus says, you and I live in the most difficult mission field because people have wealth. And he says it's difficult. I don't know if that picture of a camel going through the eye of the needle really settles in our hearts. I don't know when the last time you were just driving around and, or you went on YouTube and you just saw a camel casually strolling through the eye of a needle. <laughs> the impossibility of that. The impossibility of that is brought up in this passage. Jesus says it's hard for the rich. I have a, I, I, my, my mentor's son-in-law is, is, is a big pastor out in, in California, one of the biggest churches in Southern California, well-known, Kobe Bryant on speed dial. And, and one day he said, hey, listen, I'll meet, you, I'll, meet, I'll meet with you for lunch, Rob. And we met for lunch. I came there. I was like, this guy's going to tell me all these great things. I'm going to leave this meeting going, okay, I heard from this guy who's successful in ministry. This is amazing. And, you know, we sat down, and, and, and this is how he started the conversation. He said, Rob... I've been to some of the most difficult places in the, in the world. I've been to some of the slums in Kenya. I've been to difficult places in this country. But he said this to me. He said, Rob, as beautiful as it is, and every other car is a Tesla here. He says, as beautiful, as scenic, as big as these houses, as successful as these people seem around me. He said, I live in the biggest slum in the world. And those words stuck with me. And he said, Rob, it grieves my heart because there's layer after layer after layer that we peel off because stuff is God around here. To get to Jesus, to even say the words you need Jesus. When someone can say there is no need that I have that my bank account can't meet, it says it's difficult. Church, let this awaken our hearts so that we don't think that we have to be sent to Syria to be in a difficult mission place. You are in a difficult mission field. And you must be prepared. You must prepare your hearts to preach the gospel in this difficult mission field. And so some of us in this room, this kind of lands and hits our hearts. It hits, it's hit my heart for the last 24 hours. It hasn't fully settled in. I have to be honest. Like, it's hit my heart. This passage always hits my heart because my, my response to this is I'm not rich. Ah, I'm not rich. That's my I'm not rich voice, which sounds, <laughs> which sounds pretty rich. I'm not rich. I'm not rich. But the reality is you look at this, and I, and I know. I know where I come from. I come from Zimbabwe. I know. I have great wealth. Great wealth. So this passage is speaking to me. Is that stuff, my God, small g, 
just sitting on the throne trying to push Jesus off. I look at it. And some of us, we contextualize, so I go, okay, I'm not rich because, hey, you know what? I don't shop at Whole Foods. And if you shop at Whole Foods, don't feel judged. But <laughs> that's my gauge. If you can shop at Whole Foods, I'm like, oh, they're rich. Hmm. But that's, that's how I look, that's how I look. And it's like, that's not, that's, not where I, that's not where I buy my groceries. It's like, the reality is in the, in, the, in, the, in the context of the whole world, I am a very wealthy man. Church, after the first service, there's a guy who came to me. He had written down statistics. I could go through them, but we don't have time. And I was like, I almost put them in my back pocket. I don't want to see that. It's like, you are incredibly wealthy compared to the rest of the world incredibly wealthy. No, this passage is confronting us. We cannot excuse ourselves or move out the way. But it's not about wealth. It's not about money. There's more. It's about, our, it's about the rich young man's heart. It's about everything for Jesus. It's about being able to say that, Jesus, you are worth more than everything. I get it. I see the cross, and I believe it. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. You know, church, I would find it hard to find people in here that Jesus didn't require everything of. And some of us, it's, it's not stuff that is as big as you must give everything you own and give to the poor. Jesus doesn't ask this of everyone in the Bible. He asks this one person, he asks this one man, that thing that has a hold of his heart, and he extends this invitation. Jesus just doesn't even say, sell everything you have and follow me and we'll deal with the rest later. He says, you'll have treasure in heaven. He promises him that if you do this, oh, man, what you will have compared to what you're losing, you can't even compare. This will fade and pass, but I have something for you that will never fade. Do you want in? And it says he walks away sorrowful. Abraham understood that God had given him everything he had. Abraham had Isaac, the child of promise. Abraham was given this child. He knew, he knew there is nothing that he could do to make Isaac happen, that it was God. And church, he understood that. And the Lord said, take Isaac up to the mountain. Take him. Who gave Isaac to you? Church, everything you have, the Lord has given to you. It's the grace of God. Everything. And you don't have to look far. We are sitting in a room with some people who don't have what you have. Everything. Your health. Your health. That's God's grace. I know, I know. Right now, you're going, no, 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 Rob, you don't know me. I go to the Y seven days a week. I eat kale and I even chop, uh, you know, avocados in there, mix it up with almond milk. That's why I'm preserving my body. I can eat all the kale and all the disgusting juices you want. (laughs) There are people who've done the same and have gone like that. The grace of God. The grace of God. Everything we have is His. He gave us everything we have. And you know, we didn't do anything to earn it. Hey, we try and think like, I did this and da-da-da. And yes, you you worked hard. you, You have no idea. I had to study so much. I had to do math. The grace of God. The work ethic, the grace of God. Not everyone has a great work ethic. Math, I'm accountant. You can long divide the grace of God. I can't. You can. (laughs) 
You know, I, I think of my daughter. She's four, you know, growing up in the USA. She's four. She's already got a little bit of sass. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. And, and I, I tell her all the day, make it clear, my wife and I are just going to put a sign at our door that says, you are now entering Zimbabwe. Because you can do whatever you want, but this soil is Zimbabwean soil, like in our house. You obey our rules. But I look at my daughter, and she has, she has more rights than me, by far, here. She's more protected than me, by far. At the reality of, 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 of my daughter being here, is that if they say, hey, listen, we, we are kicking out everyone who's not American, my daughter will just be like, okay, dad, we'll see you later. She's going to stay. <laughs> She's protected. But I'll tell you what she did to earn that, because she did a lot. She was born. <laughs> That's all she did. You know, when a baby's born, they say, oh, you work so hard. She didn't work so hard. I know who worked hard that day. It was my wife, <laughs> the only person. By just virtue of being born here, she is given all these rights, protections, and privileges. She doesn't even know how far they go. I do, because I'm not American. She doesn't. But the grace of God, she has all these privileges. And I tell you the same thing. We have been given the same thing. Everything we have, God has given us. And so we see that once we get that, once we understand that, giving everything to God is worth it. You know, I look in this passage, there's a contrast right there. We read in verse 28, there's a man named Peter, and it says, then Peter spoke up. <laughs> and every time Peter speaks up, right, you go, mm, right? <laughs> then Peter spoke up, and he says this, we have left everything for you. He's thinking to himself, this rich man, this guy, good, rich, because back then, even in some parts of the world now, people connect material blessing with favor of God. He's going, how can this guy find it difficult to make it? Who, who can be in the kingdom of, of heaven if this guy can't make it? And, and Peter gave everything. He says, I gave up everything, Jesus. We see that Peter saw Jesus and says, Jesus, you're worth giving up everything for. And this rich young man who had kept all the rules, who was well put together, said, you are not worth that. You're not worth everything. We see that the Lord shows us through Peter, through Peter, this guy who seems to get a lot wrong. I, I know he gets a lot of things said about him. He gets a lot wrong. He's not as put together as this guy. Peter's going to mess up a lot. He's going to deny Jesus. going to cut people's ears off. He's going to sink. He's going to do all these things. And yet, Peter gets it. Jesus, you're worth everything. You're worth giving up everything. You know what, church? There's a truth here. There's a tragedy here. That we can walk out of this room with the same with the same thing, with our faces down, sad, downcast. Because we will refuse to put our everything in God's hands. Our church, I wanna I wanna ask you this and I wanna say this. Your everything in God's hands is better than your everything in your hands. I'll close with this. I was watching TV the other day. I was watching sports. We're watching the NBA finals. 
and for all the memes that J.R. Smith has, shame. Like I was watching this game with four seconds left in a game and Smith shot and this guy, J.R. Smith, jumps up, gets the rebound. And you know, after that, it was just madness. We're still trying to figure it, figure it out five days later. What happened? He's just running with the ball. He didn't pass it. But the, 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 you don't have to know the situation. Just know that J.R. Smith had the ball in his hands and LeBron James was standing right there. Ball was in the wrong person's hands. And it needed to be in the right hands. And if it was in the right hands, it would be a different result. Church, it matters whose hands it's in. Whose life have you put your hands in? Is your life in your hands? Because in your hands, your life is whatever it is, but your life in Jesus' hands, your life in God's hands, it's unimaginable what will happen. I know what my life was like in my hands. It was going downhill fast. It was messed up. Terrible decision after terrible decision, living for self. I was just like all about Rob. But I know that my life in Jesus' hands Every time I trust him, every time he says, Rob, give me this and you'll see what I'll do with it, it is beautiful. It always turns out right. It always seems that he has my best interest even when it looks like he's stripping something away from me. He wants me and wants us to want him more than anything. And not because he needs anything from us. He's doing it for you your good so this morning church it is not bad news it's great news it's, it's hopeless to keep everything here it's hopeful to say Jesus here you go I don't know what you are withholding from the Lord I don't know what you're doing because I can't see your heart but the Lord does he knows what you have he knows what you withhold maybe it's your identity Maybe it is stuff. Maybe it's your feet. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your heart. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. He knows best. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the great news. The great news of the gospel. That says that you gave everything up for us. So that we could have you. Not just so that we could just have you, but so that we, we could be co-heirs. Like you gave us everything on the cross so that we would then share everything for eternity. Wow. Lord, help us to see. that you are worth worth every yes that you call us to. I pray right now, Lord, for hearts in this room as we worship one last time. Lord, that you would continue to stir those things in our hearts. Don't let us just unplug. Help us plug in more. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.